Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. Today, my guest is Evan Shapiro, president of National Lampoon. This installment of Strictly Business was recorded on location in the basement of Union Hall, a bar and performance space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Shapiro and I spoke as a group of comedians set up for a live comedy show dubbed The Lesbian Agenda, led by the charming Sophie Santos. I ventured to Union Hall to see the rehabilitation plan in action for National Lampoon, a once cutting-edge comedy brand that has fallen on hard times. In our interview, Shapiro details the plan to embrace Lampoon's past of delivering what he calls twisted mainstream humor, but bring it into the present day with a multicultural lens that is far more inclusive than the Lampoon once was. Shapiro is a seasoned comedy veteran who ran IFC and Sundance Channel and recently launched NBC's CISO service. He was recruited for the Lampoon job in May by the principals at Palm Star Media, which bought the company as a distressed property in 2017. Shapiro and his partners want to turn it into a humming comedy production entity for film, TV, and digital properties. This effort begins in earnest on December 19th with the launch of the National Lampoon Radio Hour, a sketch comedy podcast. The title harks back to one of Lampoon's most influential works, a radio series that featured Gilda Radner, John Belushi, Bill Murray, Christopher Guest, Michael O'Donohue, and others as performers and writers. To start us off, here's a clip from the debut episode of the new model, Radio Hour. I'm Chris Harrison, and this is The Bachelorette. Well, it's been one wild ride, but here we are at the final rose ceremony. As you'll see, Chad, the hung farmer, and Hancock, the pilot with a huge penis, are both in a coma. But nothing would keep them from missing this, the most important moment of their lives, as those who don't receive a rose will be executed. Let's cut to the chase and take you there now. Welcome, Kelsey. Have you made your decision? What? Have you decided which man you want to marry? Oh, yeah. I thought you said something about my legs. I did not. Okay, well... I'm ready to present the rose. First of all, Chad, with your big farmer's hands, you tilled the soil of my heart and made love grow. However, the autumn chill of our final date killed the crops of romance. I'm sorry, Chad. You do not get this rose. Evan Shapiro, president of National Lampoon, Thank you so much for inviting me out for a field trip for Strictly Business. We are in the comedy performance space at Union Hall, a legendary venue in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, soaking up the atmosphere. And we're going to start talking about how you are in the process of reviving the National Lampoon brand. And of course, it being 2019, almost 2020, how do you revive a comedy brand? Launch a podcast. Starting tomorrow, December 19th, the National Lampoon Radio Hour, a brand that has a lot of resonance to people, to comedy aficionados of the 70s and 80s, is coming back as a half-hour podcast. Evan, tell us how this, how this plan was born and what you, how 
you hope to speak to your audience through the through the revival of the radio hour sure um, so you know we're we're not so much starting a podcast as we're reviving an iconic comedy brand so National Lampoon is obviously an iconic uh, um, comedy brand if not the most important comedy brand of all time um, but the radio hour was this thing that launched a couple of years after the magazine which really uh, personifies the importance of National Lampoon writ large. So it was the the, the venue or the vehicle that launched uh, John Belushi, Gilda Radner, Bill Murray, Brian Doyle Murray, uh, Christopher Guest, Harold Ramis, Michael O'Donohue as a as a writer of sketch format. Um, he had worked for the magazine prior to that. Um, and then right after the radio hour launched and they uh, used to do live shows and they had um, an album that they did called Radio Dinner, um, they, they were approached to turn it into a television show um, and turn it down. Lampoon did. Uh, and then NBC and Lauren Michaels came along and hired everybody from the radio hour and took the format and turned it into a television show, which is now called Saturday Night Live. So we're relaunching that safe haven comedy venue, the radio hour itself, as a podcast. Um, I don't know that we would have launched a podcast as our first venture uh, otherwise, but we had this great property that was the launching pad of the brand, and it was the launch, not just by itself with the magazine, but launching pa- pad for all this great talent, and really the inventor of a format of electronic sketch comedy that is still running today. So we wanted to go back to our roots, and, and we think that this show does that. Um, it goes back to the very idea of giving young, talented, comedic geniuses a safe haven and a format and a form where they can literally do anything um, and, and, and a platform to you know, critique and satirize mainstream culture. And we've assembled what we think is a merited next class of the radio hour. Cola Scola, Joe Firestone, Rachel Pegram, Meg Stalter, uh, Alex English, Aaron Jackson, all these great young comedic geniuses who are just at the same kind of precipice um, that that original class was at. Um, and and we get, gave them a venue to literally do almost anything they wanted to from a from a sketch comedy standpoint. So that's that's really the premise behind it. And then the show itself is really a, a larger thesis for what we're doing with Lampoon itself. Let's talk a little bit more about the radio hour in terms of developing the kind of prism, the filter that you want National Lampoon to stand for. Fresh voices, obviously, given given the history, that that's the bar is pretty high there. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, when you sat down with the with the current owners of Lampoon, you joined the company in May. Yeah. So going on about seven months ago. Yeah. When you sat down, was the radio hour something that you knew of and you wanted to revive? Like, how did that how did that become the the, the, focus? Fir- the first thing I did when I first sat down with the the my business partners who were who were the people who bought uh, National Lampoon about three years ago. Um, audio was a big part of it. I, you know, the, my thesis uh, and what we discussed and agreed upon was the idea of focusing on that um, development funnel that the magazine and the radio hour and live was for National Lampoon back in the day. 
And what I call that is the monetization of the development process. So you're publishing comedy material, you're fostering comedy talent in an environment with a little bit of a low risk factor to it so you can grow the ideas. Um, and then you've let them flourish and you flourish along with them. So, you know, a great, great example of that was Vacation started as an article in the magazine. By John Hughes, and then got turned into the largest film franchise in our history. That right? the 1983 Chevy yep. Chase hit. Correct. Um, so you know, and Radio Hour begot Saturday Night Live. Um, so today, I said we had a conversation around the idea of um, if you're going to be an iconic comedy brand now, you have to really fit into the comedy lifestyle, right? And the comedy lifestyle is I listen to three or four comedy podcasts a week, I go see live comedy shows, I watch a ton of comedy on YouTube, and to revive National Lampoon and not take the approach of going through the filters and formats and platforms that today's comedy audiences go through would be a mistake. And so podcasting was something that was central to our our development process and our thesis um, as a way to monetize the development process. Find new talent, find new IP, put it out in the world, collect data, build awareness, generate revenues. Um, so yes, that was really a part of it. But it really, it wasn't until I started to dug, dig into the IP that their two properties really jumped out. Um, the Radio Hour and Lemmings, um, because they both fit into today's comedy's li comedy lifestyle. To, they both fit into today's comedy lifestyle in that one is a Radio Hour, hence a podcast, right? And the other is a live show, um, and that that's what today's comedy audiences. Yes, they want to watch a good television show that's funny. But they really also want to get these immersive experiences, um, and that's you, that's where you're seeing the explosion of audiences happening in audio and live for comedy as well. So you're going to have a mix of live shows running in different parts of the country yep. under the National Lampoon brand yep. and a weekly podcast, weekly half-hour podcast? So this show is uh, 11 episodes, half-hour each, um, so that'll run for 11 weeks, um, and then we will have new shows coming in after that, um, and uh, all under the National Lampoon brand. Um, some of the shows will be, so Lesbian Agenda is an actual great example of this. This is a show that um, we've been working with for a while. Um, we co-presented it with the creator, Sophie Santos, standing right there, um, uh, at New York Comedy Festival, did really, really well. We're going to take it out as a as a television pitch next year at some point. But we also may do a podcast. Um, you know, the, the the importance is the talent and the idea. That's the most important thing. And um, when we find talent, we find a concept, then we want to we want to put it where it belongs. You know what I mean? So, in, the, in the format. That correct. It so sometimes it'll be live. Sometimes it'll be a podcast. Sometimes it'll be a television show. Sometimes it'll be a film. Um, and other times, who knows? It, you know, it could be a social media channel, an Instagram feed. Um, what we don't want to do is pre-prescribe. Pre we don't want to presuppose where something should be until we figure out organically what's the best home where they can build the biggest audience and realize their vision in the best way possible. Can you make money on a podcast, or is it a like a talent incubation or a project incubation type of vehicle for you? Yeah, I mean, you can make money on a podcast. You can't make a, you know, unless you're doing Joe Rogan-like numbers, you can't make a shit ton of money on a podcast. Um, but what you can do is make money on a on a on a property. So a show that does a podcast 
gains a listenership. You get advertising there. On the flip side, you also promote live shows from that podcast, and you sell tickets, and you make money there. And then ultimately, hopefully, you adapt it to long form on other platforms. Um, so we were all, uh, we've already adapted uh, one of Forever Dog's podcasts and sold it uh, as a television series. Um, and we're in the process of, of adapting other projects as well. We're also reverse engineering. So Radio Hour is a great sketch show. Television needs a great sketch show. Right. So we formulated forever. Uh, I'm sorry. We formu- we, so we formulated Radio Hour as a format um, and as a talent pool to A, we've already done it live. It worked incredibly well. B, we shot it as we recorded it and we're going to release it as a video series simultaneously on YouTube or as my mom like to, likes to say, the YouTube. Um, <laughs> And the whole idea is to see if we can also adapt this into long-form TV as well. This is, this is a hard time in comedy because of where the culture is in, on issues of marginalized people and inclusion. And how, yeah, I, I'm gonna, how do you decide what is funny? I'm going to have to, well, first of all, it's not my job to decide what's funny. <laughs> but but I, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think it's a hard time to be, to be in comedy. I think what you have to do, so to, to go back, one of the big changes... One of the first things we did was decide what our brand filter was going to be. Um, and we went back to the very beginning and looked at everything Lampoon has done and what made it important. And the idea of twisted mainstream, of satirizing mainstream culture, um, vacation kind of personifies this. A family goes on vacation, dad's trying to get laid, grandma dies, the dog gets dragged for miles and gets destroyed. Like, that's pretty subversive stuff, right? Um, so we br- brought that forward, this, this punch-up rebel point of view from the from the original brand from 50 years ago legitimately you know next march right um and brought it to today and then we made took extra pains to include the people who were excluded last time people who that's a pretty big crowd yeah i mean if you weren't a cisgendered white dude from harvard you know or (laughs) one white woman from you know from that crowd then you were excluded and not on purpose, but just systematic, you know, institutional. You the know, avenues bias. for you to get there Correct. were just so steep I mean, or non-existent. They were all from Harvard, right. so they were taught comedy inside the Ivy walls at, at Harvard. So this time, you know, the same week, um, Shane Gillis and Saturday Night Live got all that guff for for the things he said on a podcast. We announced one of the most diverse casts and writers' rooms in comedy. And by the way, it wasn't hard to find talented people of gender fluidity and color diversity and different types of backgrounds. It was actually pretty easy because there are more of them now than there ever have been. And so, yeah, it's hard to be in comedy if you're not a good writer. (laughs) But if you're very inclusive in your point of view and you're very inclusive in the talent that you hang out with and you put yourself in situations where the biases that you might have been taught as a young person are challenged on an ongoing basis you know it's not very difficult to be funny and not piss people off not piss the wrong people off and by that i mean not piss off the people who have been subjugated for the last 200 years in american history but the ones who need to be celebrated and given the spotlight now we're sitting at the lesbian agenda which is a show created by and starring a queer latinx comic and musician um 
you know, we didn't go on the hunt for a queer Latino. You didn't have a checklist. No, right? it's just that this is the type of talent that's really getting a, a moment to shine. And we just are running around trying to work with as many of them as we can. Not that we don't like cisgendered white dudes. It's just, you know, it's not going to be every performer for us the way that it's traditionally been in comedy. And when you look at the writer's room on Radio Hour, Rachel Pegram, uh, uh, Lorelai Ramirez, uh, Meg Stalter, uh, Joe Firestone, Aaron Jackson, Alex English, Cola Scola. You know, this is a very diverse and oftentimes not necessarily always well represented. You know, it's a shame to say women are underrepresented in comedy, but it still is a situation where we're, we're still dealing with the ramifications of the last generation of misogyny in the comedy culture where club owners could resist putting more than one woman on a bill. Like, that's not old news. That's right. like 15 minutes ago. Um, and, you know, the, the aftermath of the whole Louis C.K. situation isn't just that Louis was doing stupid shit in hotel rooms with female comedians. It's that he would often, and, and the infrastructure of comedy would help suppress careers to make sure that word didn't get out. And so if you want to not make comedy, it's not hard to not do that. In in this day and age when so many people are, when there are so many people that, that are finding the platforms, whether it's YouTube, whether it's live shows, you know, it, 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 the world is more, exactly, is social media. The world is more expansive, so it's, it is, it is, you, you can have that voice, but here is a, here you're marrying a legendary brand, a, an expertise, and a, and a real ethos about what you want to do, and, and both honoring the past but taking it very much into the present. Yeah, it's un- I mean oddly and maybe unfortunately it's unexpected for Lash Lampoon to work with a whole bunch of uh, female people of color gender diverse group but it, it shouldn't be. It's for surpri- National Lampoon in 2019. Yeah, or 2020. I mean, it's surprising in that the brand hasn't necessarily always done that. But on the flip side, um, it shouldn't be surprising because in 1970, to be fair to the folks who founded National Lampoon, they reflected that culture at that time very well. And they reflected young culture at that time. They may right. not have reflected African American culture or necessarily, um, you know, culture of people of color, but, you know, America was also significantly less diverse back then. And the media outlets were substantially less diverse. Right. But from a, from a diversity of point of view, um, they brought up issues, they tackled subjects, they took on the mainstream culture, they took on the, the, the infrastructure in a way that was necessary, and they were very reflective of that time. Now we're doing exactly the same thing. We're vi- 50 years ago, you know, almost to the minute, we are very reflective of this time. And we are holding up a mirror to the culture that needs to know that those genes do make your ass look fat. <laughs> but, and you can say that. Yeah. But interesting that you are, you've made a real, almost a conscious decision that it's going to be a largely Trump and largely politics free zone, at least at radio least hour, radio hour. That was one of the big uh, set of boundaries we put around it was to not take on politics, to take on culture, not politics, to take on uh, mainstream uh, American ism um, rather than to take on us, to satirize us. 
as opposed to satirizing what is ultimately satirized every night on television. So part of it is just fatigue of yeah. that same joke everyone's telling about Donald Trump and his hair. Um, but then secondarily, it's also to give the audience something new and different to reflect upon from from a comedy standpoint, from different points of view, than, than you know, what's on every single channel and every single streamer every single day and every single night. You know, how do you stand out in, in the era where there are 10 million things on the TV and nothing to watch? Well, don't do what everybody else is doing. Is, the edgy is the, choices to skip the Trump joke. That's the, exactly the right. The edgy easy. choices, yeah. <laughs> and the Pence joke and the Pompeo yeah. joke and, you know, like enough you know, we have these really great, um, you know, Cole plays this unbelievably gorgeous character uh, uh, named Maeve, who's a, a, a cabaret singer who gets uh, hired to sing the Super Bowl halftime <laughs> show when J-Lo breaks her leg. And and that whole piece as a, a satire on popular mainstream television culture is just it's just different and weird and patient and silly and fun and escapist all at the same time. And it still says something. Let's talk a little more broadly about National Lampoon as a business. I mean, basically, you have described it as it's a comedy studio Correct. that aims to make content for a range of platforms, yep. building on the past. So obviously, podcasts are a big focus. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to drive this drive the company forward in a big way from a, just from a purely financial perspective. Yeah, so the idea of creating formats in one media and adapting them to another. So, you know, Radio Hour to me is a really good personification of what we're trying to do in that we want to build an audience quickly and relatively inexpensively on one platform and then migrate it to another. Um, but we have great scripted TV shows in development. We've got a number of films in development as well. We just started a weekly live show in Long Island City at this great new space called Plaxall Gallery. Um, so, you know, we have plans for for reinvigorating the merchandise of the, of the business. So we're a studio, but we're also a consumer-facing brand. Um, and I think it'll, you know, the diversification of revenue is something I'm kind of obsessed about when I look at these other businesses out there, because you look at some of these businesses that only have a single revenue stream and you wonder, well, how's that going to work long term? Um, so, you know, we want to be the ultimate arms dealer in the streaming war. We also want to have a consumer facing brand that's really, really important with an engaged community around it. And I think ultimately media brands that have engaged communities and ones that can be sustained over time, those are going to be the truly successful um, media enterprises on an ongoing basis. Marvel is a great example. You know, not only was that business dead, it was bankrupt. Right. Um, but the way they reinvigorated it around the engaged community is kind of the lesson. But there are others. Uh, Archie. Look how well they've resurrected. The Archie Comics yeah. brand. Who would have thought that that would have been a hit TV show Two on hit the TV CW? Shows. Yeah. And one on Netflix. Yeah. Um, Snoopy is now incredibly popular, more so overseas than it's been historically in the past. Sesame Street, which just celebrated its 50th anniversary, is as important and relevant, and you know they're in every commercial right now. So you know, those publishers and those studios are a great case. Those are the case studies we look at when we look at models um, to uh, put out there. There really isn't a comedy brand that's done what those brands have done, 
except us. National Lampoon has done film. It's done magazine. It's done radio. Um, hasn't done so much TV, but we are, we are going to emulate Archie Comics, Marvel, uh, Snoopy, uh, these other brands and, and serve as a publishing arm for a certain genre, which is comedy. And we're going to do it everywhere. And we want to be that brand that people want to wear on their chest. The difference between us and a startup brand is like Marvel, like Snoopy, like Archie, we are already a brand that people want to wear on their chest. National Lampoons mean something. Is there a special National Lampoon font? When I see when no, I see those drawn. lettering. That's oh, really? Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. That lettering is so distinctive. Yeah. It absolutely telegraphs. There may be a national... I don't think there is a... That's a good idea. So there's a product right there. National Lampoon font. <laughs> yeah, there's money in that. Uh, no, there... Uh, I'm a fontophile. <laughs> I've never seen Helvetica, the documentary. Yes, I have. So, yeah. I'm you, partial to Ariel myself. That but. Was, yeah. <laughs> I'm a Gil Sands kind of guy. But that, uh, that is a, that's a hand-drawn, that's a hand-drawn image. That's amazing. Yeah. That is, somebody had a really. And if you look at, so if you look at the artwork for National Lampoon Radio Hour, the podcast, um, what we did was we brought that, that iconography forward, right? We brought another really well-known piece of iconography forward, which is the dog, whose name is Cheeseface, from the cover of the magazine, which the is... The famous one where the... Buy this magazine or the dog gets there's it. There's a gun being pointed at yeah, the head. Right. Yeah. And uh, buy this magazine or we'll shoot this dog. And um, and so we brought that forward, but we hired a nice young artist named uh, Zach, who redid it um, and, 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 and redrew it. Um, in a kind of more electronic, up-to-date, but still old-school way. Um, and, you know, to me, that's, like, I could see, you know, it's not Baby Yoda, <laughs> but it is a very recognizable uh, icon. And um, and in terms of the in terms of the talent that you're working with on the radio hour, will you have like are you building a stable? Will you have long term relationships with some of the talent? Gosh, that's the hope. I mean, you know, we don't have them under indentured servitude, unfortunately. <laughs> but you know, if we can continue to work with Cola Scola and Joe Firestone and Alex English and Martin Urbano and Meg Stalter, Meg Stalter, who was in Chicago working as either a babysitter or a nanny, like. 18 months ago and is now a huge blossoming star in the comedy scene because primarily of social media to start. She's also a brilliant live performer and writer, but that's how she, that's how she kind of got recognized or get, got discovered. Um, and Maeve Higgins and, and uh, Lorelai Ramirez and Rachel Pegram and Aaron Jackson, we are, we would love to continue working with them. And, you know, we are talking to a bunch of them about other projects. A lot of the cast members have their own, ideas for TV and film um, and we are actively developing uh, a number of projects with a number of cast members and the hope is they'll come back for a subsequent season of the podcast but also you know when and if we get to adapt it for television they'll also come back for that as well so that yes the answer is we would love to work with them and the idea is to establish relationships with artists I mean Lauren Michaels is the is the quintessential you know godfather of this you know he took what was the cast of the Radio Hour turned it into Saturday Night Live and then held on to a lot of the relationships with the talent over years. You know, he still works with Tina Fey on a Broadway show and on other things, even though they don't necessarily work day to day together. And I believe you told me that the story is that the National Lampoon guys back in the 
mid seventies said, "Yeah, no, nah, we're not interested in TV." Wait, and so Lauren went and did it. Is that true, or is yeah, that pretty much? No, that's that's pretty much the truth. Is that that I think NBC and Lauren came to the to Lampoon and said, "Do you want to do this?" And there they said, "No, it's not core to what we want to do." And they they it's, I, I believe the story is Lauren and um, Bernie Brillstein went and scooped up. John and Gilda and Bill and just and Michael O'Donohue and hired him as a uh, as a head writer. Now you can do a little bit more research and find out how much of this is true, but that's generally <laughs> that's the, directionally the, the story. Yeah. yeah, and part of your and part of what you have to work with, part of your resources at Lampoon is almost twenty years of or more than almost thirty years of a magazine of yeah, so material from the magazine. Two hundred and thirty issues of the magazine, um, like forty hours of audio. Um, with, you know, people like Larry David and John Hughes and Doug Kenny and Henry Beard and, uh, Annie Beats, um, and Gilda Radner and Michael O'Donohue and PJ O'Rourke. So yeah, there's a tremendous amount of IP there. Um, and there's all the brand halo that goes into that as well. The story of National Lampoon in the last decade or so has not been pretty. Um, you, in terms of the, of the brand, it's gone from a couple of different owners, the previous owners to the to the Palm Star team that bought it in 2017. A couple of them are now serving time in no, the federal they're out. penitentiary. They oh, are they're out. out. Okay, yeah. but they so they served their time for financial they did. crimes. They, did their, they, they paid their time. They Nonetheless, their the bar for you is very low as president. Stay out of jail. What does the sort of recent history of National Lampoon teach you? As I'm sure you have studied, as you're getting your arms around the company. Everybody who's run the National Lampoon up until, I think, the current group paid absolutely no attention to why the brand was so important back in the day. They just said, well, it's got to be funny. And that was the only only filter. Just make it funny. And then slap our name on it. And that's not how it works. Um, you know, there, there's something to the subversiveness. There's something to the punch-upness. There's something to taking on the establishment. Um, you know, the, I boiled it down into twisted mainstream, you know, into those two words because it's fast and easy to understand. Um, but the idea that a whole bunch of people who are not the establishment will take on the establishment through the prism of comedy, that's what twisted mainstream means to me. They never did that homework. You know, not that I can tell anyway. There's, right. there's no, no one sat down to understand the legacy of the brand. They just assumed it. And I think that was the biggest mistake that was made was let's just rush to put our name on something f- that we think might be funny. funny. Funny is very subjective. You know, I said it's not my job to say what's funny. I mean, comedy, comedy is hard. Dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Right. You know, drama, you know a drama when you see it. It's either drama or it's not drama. Um, but comedy, there's several different forms of it. And so how do you under, how do you, how do you make it all hang together under a brand? You come up with a filter that everybody agrees to and you pick voices that line up with that vision. And so I think that was the big mistake that was made in the past. And when we go out there and we do our pitch for people and we sample what it is that we're doing, you say National Lampoon's lesbian agenda and then you come see this project, um, you get it. You know what I mean? It may not even be for you, but you go, oh, I, I see what they're doing there. When we took Radio Hour out, um, 
you know, and people understood what it is that we were trying to do and we were able to articulate what the vision of it was and why we were doing the things that we were doing. Spotify is a great example. So this partnership with Spotify came from the fact that they said... Yes, bury the lead. I forgot to mention you just, fresh off of the contract, you just inked a deal with Spotify to distribute your podcast, which is an enormous uh, boost given how much that how much energy and attention they're put Spotify is putting into into podcasts. Yeah, no, they you know they they spent almost as much on us as they did on Gimlet. That's not true at all. Um, the 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 key here though is that they said this is a really good piece of content and we love this brand and the two of those things together. It it's hard for me to explain how easy it is for people to get it when you when you do it right. Um, you know, and so it's very difficult for me personally coming to this as I do. You asked me how long I've been interested in comedy, you know, since birth. Um, and I've been doing comedy professionally for some time now to I walk in there. CISO. Yeah, CISO. And then, you know, uh, on my own a little bit. And, um, and we've been able to really, so to me, it was pretty. It all was very obvious on how to cater this brand, and what's nice is walking in there with the legacy that I, and the history in comedy that I do. Walking there in there arm in arm with the talent that we're bringing to the table. You know, don't underestimate how important it was to have Cola Scola and Joe Firestone on our roster when we told people we were making this show. Like it, it's it's what brought all the other artists to the table. It's what got Spotify on board. It's you know, it's a big part of who we are. Well, the preparations for the lesbian agenda are starting to step up, so we should probably clear clear a path for uh, a wave of comedy to happen. Cool. Evan, thank you so much. Oh, we will pleasure. be listening, and good luck to you in all, in all your endeavors. I hope you make them laugh. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.